We're back, Empires of the Future. My name's Jackson. I'm Denton. And what are we going to be talking about today, Denton? Death. No, 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 no. Not so much. But uh, particularly today, we're going to be talking about a recent Supreme Court decision that was handed down with regards to the presence of and the role of clergy or ministerial counsel uh, within the death sentence proceedings. Right. So we're looking at uh, a recent Supreme Court decision uh, in Ramirez versus Collier. Uh, this is out of Texas. And uh, we actually, our only reference today is the uh, Supreme Court's decision. It's, uh, there's quite a bit of reading material there, but we'll pull out some excerpts and talk about them. And so the story starts this way. A Texas jury sentenced John Ramirez to death after he brutally murdered Pablo Castro in 2004. On February 5th, 2021, after years of direct and collateral proceedings concerning Ramirez's conviction, sentence, and aspects of his execution, Texas informed Ramirez that his execution date would be September 8th, 2021. Ramirez then filed a prison grievance requesting that the state allow his longtime pastor to be present in the execution chamber, which Texas initially denied. What is he looking for in this situation? By he, you mean Ramirez? Yes. Uh, so Ramirez, the, the grievance that he filed uh, was his request was um, to have clergy present, has have, have his pastor um, be present at the time. But not only that, because that was a, a former grievance that he had already filed and was approved. It was allowed after a certain certain time, uh, Texas, uh, the state of Texas ultimately decided that he was allowed to have his pastor there in the room for him to pray right. for him as... Uh, as he was executed, but this further grievance that he filed was because while he was allowed to be in the room, um, he was not allowed, the pastor was not allowed to lay his hand on Ramirez during this execution or to pray out loud during the execution. And so the grievance filed was to allow his pastor to be able to lay his hand on him, and for him to be able to pray out loud. To the best that I understand the, right. the situation, that's what I understand the grievance to be and, and what he was filing for. Right, and uh, so again, the date that he was scheduled to be executed was September 8th of 2021. Mm-hmm. And when he filed this grievance, the Supreme Court uh, then took it up, which means they stayed his execution. Um, so that w- took place, and then the question is, okay, so is it right for a prisoner, uh, someone who is on death row, to receive this level of pastoral care during uh, their actual execution. So there are a lot of questions we're going to be dealing with here. Our, our goal today is uh, an honest account of uh, Christ- how Christians handle uh, the idea of the death penalty. So it's a sobering, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult issue. Um, but then also, okay, if... if we agree that someone should have the death penalty carried out. What, what are their rights and how should they be treated Yeah. during that time and even up to the moment of execution? Right. right? So the article continues, uh, or the decision continues, uh, quote, Ramirez then filed a prison grievance requesting that the state allow his longtime pastor to be present in the execution chamber, which Texas initially denied. And that's where you get uh, higher courts 
stepping in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas later changed course and amended ex- its execution protocol to allow a prisoner spiritual advisor to enter the execution chamber. But that's, like you said, enter the execution chamber, not necessarily put hands on him, and then not necessarily pray aloud. And we're going to be uh, bringing up particularly why that is a question. Um, but to to move here to the issue of the death penalty itself. Uh, what are some pertinent passages that we might want to be thinking about when we're talking about death penalty? Yeah, there are, there are I would say, several that pertain to the issue. But um, if I were to say one in particular that I, I think to be one of the most compelling arguments that at least our God is not opposed to capital punishment uh, would come from Genesis 9-6, where he himself says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And so one of the the arguments in opposition of capital punishment, especially from from those who are Christians, would go, uh, is that they would argue that we are image bearers of God. And to destroy an image bearer of God is never an appropriate thing. And that to kill criminals uh, would be to... Um, oppose or, or to to destroy an image bearer of God in a sinful or wrong way that it is that it is a uh, a uh, sort of detesting of the imago dei what mm-hmm. we call the image of God uh, in humanity. Whereas this passage would indicate kind of the opposite that there are those who have done such acts and in their acts they have been the ones to disdain and to destroy the image of God in another human being. And because of the high value of uh, the image of God upon human beings, it is that which is then the motivator for why that person's blood should be shed. Right. Because of it's a recognition of what they've done in something like murder that is so heinous. It's so heinous because of the image of God. Right. Right. And so the, the death penalty then upholds the Imago Dei rather than destroys it. So long as it is carried out with appropriate justice. Right. And so uh, to anyone who might say, well, that's the Old Testament, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth and all that. Um, In the New Testament, in Romans 13, you have the Apostle Paul saying, look, the government doesn't bear the sword for no reason, that uh, civil authorities are precisely in existence in order to care for the common good, to provide safety, provide order, uh, that look that Romans 13 is the justification for a police force to exist mm-hmm. uh, and for judges to adjudicate cases like this right. one. And, and it seems like a very good place to come all the way to ground level and to go, okay, well, what are the details of this case? Yeah. And so uh, in the, in the decision, uh, the, the, decision turned out to be eight to one in this case, uh, eight of the justices, uh, ruled that Mr. Ramirez should receive pastoral care in this way, that uh, hands should be able to be laid on him according to his uh, the, the religious practice of his pastor and of himself, uh, and also uh, to be able to be prayed aloud for. Um, so eight, eight justices ruled that way, and the opinion of the majority was given by Chief Justice John Robertson. This is his summary of what happened on that night. Uh, he said, quote, uh, Pablo Castro worked the night shift at the Times Market convenience store in Corpus Christi, Texas. 
On July 19, 2004, Castro was outside closing up when Ramirez and an accomplice approached him with a knife. Ramirez stabbed Castro 29 times, searched his pockets, and made off with a dollar and 25 cents. Castro died on the pavement, leaving behind nine children and 14 grandchildren. 29 times stabbing of a, a man who was working at a convenience store and a dollar 25 taken. So that is the crime. Yeah. In this instance. Yeah. And, and a crime that um, I would say certainly shows a certain amount of disdain for human life and, uh, and uh, disregard, I would say, for, for human life. And so the, the discussion here, and even the Supreme Court decision, is not whether or not the death penalty is appropriate. Right. And that's not the purpose of our conversation today either. Uh, it is not about whether or not this person deserves the death penalty, but about what kind of liberties, uh, specifically re religious liberty and rights, are to be afforded this person during the execution. Right. Right, and... Um... You know, look, I, I don't think any of us want to live in the world in a world where uh, these sorts of things happen, uh, but we do. Yeah. So the question then is, okay, what what do you do about it, or what what is appropriate? Um, it is not enough to kind of think along the lines of, well, I just don't want to deal with the idea that the government is uh, killing a person or that that someone would have to die. Well, well here's the situation. Um, this person has shown himself to uh, be radically, be able to radically disregard human life. Mm -hmm. Okay, what neighborhood then do you want to put this person in? Yeah. And that's the challenge. It is far too easy to go, well, I, I think they ought to be able to live somewhere. Well, really the question that we have to do is, do you want them to live in, in your neighborhood? Um, because if not, well, it's not good enough to just go, well, I, I hope that they can live somewhere. Okay, but how do you rehabilitate uh, someone who is willing to callously, this callously, uh, take the life of someone who they, they did not know? There's no, uh, there's no malice here. There's no ill will that we can necessarily determine but there is callous disregard right uh, for human life and that's the whole that's the whole problem right. I mean, that's the fundamental problem when you have someone who shows that they're willing to do this where will they fit in society yeah and so uh in, in situations like this uh it's not with joy but i i say i i don't understand how you couldn't approve of a death penalty in certain situations sure. such as this one yeah um so that's that's where i land on it uh would you say the same i would you know some people would maybe argue well he doesn't have to live in anyone's neighborhood he could live in prison for the rest of his life and you know i guess that's an argument that that you could make obviously there's a a ton of issues that arise with that as well uh is that not also equally cruel um it also who's going to pay for him to live right. uh the rest of his life knowing that he has no business being among society, right? right. All right? There are all kinds of problems, but I would agree with you um, 100% on everything that you said. Um, so another thing to be said right now is that um, if you didn't catch the date of when this happened, it was July 19th, 2004. And so it's not as if this is a knee-jerk reaction. This is uh, the death sentence 
had been called for. Uh, there have been many appeals. Um, why don't you talk about for a minute the uh, dissent and, and what was the reasoning behind uh, Clarence Thomas's dissent? Yeah, so it was an 8-1 decision, which means it was an overwhelming majority of eight, eight of the nine Supreme Court justices uh, saying and affirming this, uh, granting this appeal that his pastor should be allowed to be in the room with him, not only be in the room with him, but lay his hand on him and pray for him during the execution. There was one dissenting uh, justice, and that was Justice Clarence Thomas, who, and I'll just read his appeal, or excuse me, his dissent that he wrote. Mm -hmm. He said, the appeal made by this condemned prisoner is insincere, and he has had a trail of insincere appeals. So uh, Justice Clarence Thomas's dissent, his, his problem that he had, it wasn't about you know, the religious liberty that, that might have been or might not have been at stake here. Right. His issue was that this man was just doing whatever he could to delay, doing whatever he could to stay off this execution, buying mm -hmm. time, essentially. And it's the opinion of Justice Thomas that he's been doing this for a while. And so therefore, this appeal is actually insincere. Um, not This is not Justice Clarence Thomas, Thomas as, as far as I can tell, saying... Uh, no one has the right to have clergy in the room or laying hands on them or praying during this time. It doesn't seem like he really even had an issue with that. He had an issue with the insincerity behind it. Um, in where I would disagree, maybe not disagree, but I guess the problem with Clarence Thomas's dissent in this case is that he is, even if it seems so obvious, he, he is attempting to know what is inside the heart of this man. Well, and the Bible tells us that no one knows what is in the heart of man except one. Right. Uh, and we are not that one. Right. And it seems that uh, Justice Thomas feels he knows what's going on in the heart of this man. And, and, and he may be right. This might be exactly right. what's going on. But I will tell you right now, it is not something we want to have Supreme Court justices deciding what is in the hearts of men and why they're uh, appealing or why they're doing this or that. I think that's always going to be a dangerous place to be. Right. And I, I mean, one of the primary contexts of uh, judge not lest you be judged is not to judge the motivations of people's hearts because you can't know it. Yeah. You, you can't. And, and look, uh, there is some evidence that Clarence Thomas is right about this. Um, yeah. One of the reasons, to my understanding, that this execution is taking so long is that uh, Mr. Ramirez is taking every opportunity to slow it down. Well, uh, when you see that, and then you see him take yet another opportunity, that can give you those suspicions. Yeah. But I, I don't think in this case we can oper operate off those suspicions um, because of that very issue that you don't know the motivations of a, a part of a person's heart. Nor can you then make a Supreme Court decision based upon those. Uh, religious liberty is a fundamental right, not something that is... Uh, captive to a judgment based upon someone's uh, motivations. Um, the two concerns that prison officials had about this uh, should be mentioned. Uh, their, their concerns, as far as I could see, are summarized uh, in two points. Uh, one, that a prayer offered out loud may hinder the assessment of vitals during lethal injection or uh, something along those lines. Look, it's a, um, it's a delicate yeah. process. You're, yeah. you're putting a lethal amount uh, of dosage uh, 
into somebody's veins in order to kill them. And yeah. so they, they calculate weight and how much is needed so that it won't be any more violent than it needs to be. And so that's the uh, first concern. But then the second was that a voiced prayer may be addressed or affect witnesses to the execution, which is in some cases are uh, the family of the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also affect the kind of decorum, the solemnity of the moment. Um, but again, how do you decrease religious liberty or uh, hinder religious liberty based upon those concerns? I don't, I don't see that you do. I don't see how you can. Yeah, I mean, it, those, are, those are real concerns, I would argue. I mean, I don't think that that is unreasonable. When I think about it, you know, I've, I've spent time working in a hospital. And in situations like in an ICU or in an emergency room, it is definitely the case that whenever uh, nurses and, and staff, when their focus is on trying to um, monitor and maintain the life of this person before them, obviously the situation is different where they're seeking to keep them alive and as comfortable as possible versus trying to keep them comfortable yet die, right? Uh, you know, in the proper way, right? Without um, too much pain, without, um, yeah, that the, the process is handled correctly because if things go wrong in that situation, it could go very wrong. Um, and that's not something that, that anyone wants. And so, man, I, I, I see in, in the situation, like in the hospital, if there's too many people, too much going on in the room, it makes it very hard to focus on and right. monitor the patient well. And so I understand that. Um, and I don't think that that is an invalid concern. I don't think that concern outweighs the liberties afforded in the constitution. That's, that's, that's what I think. Right. And, and this is what is so challenging. Even, um, even when you affirm that the death penalty, uh, it is right for it to be carried out in certain instances, that does not mean that the person is not made in the image of God any longer. Right. Uh, they are still afforded dignity. Uh, it, even when, you know, look, I'm sure there are some who would say, well, this person uh, sacrificed any dignity that they should have been afforded when they killed someone. Look, they, uh, they, they, they did not. I mean, they, they may have sacrificed their opportunity to live in civil society, but uh, they are still a human being made in the image of God and uh, afforded certain rights. Um, yeah, it's, that's, something inter- that's something that should be said, is that it might seem that in those types of, of displays and those things where you're affording dignity, it might seem as though you are somehow endorsing how this person has lived or what they have done uh, in some some fashion, but that's not the case. Rather, what you are uh, what you are recognizing is the image of God on this person mm-hmm. that they have dignity not because of themselves, what they've done, this or that, but because they are God's special creation that they've been created in His image. Mm-hmm. And even though, yes, it is a gross distortion of, of His image and how He intended uh, for human beings to be when he created Adam and Eve, um, it is still a recognition of the dignity and worth and value that human beings have as right. being created by God in his image. Right. There, right. You have to be able to separate those two. You right. are not giving dignity to what this man has done. Right. You are, you are giving dignity to this man because he is an image bearer of God. Right. Right. Um, it makes me think about, you know, uh, murder came on the scene really quickly after the fall. Uh, Cain killing Abel, it, it looks like, uh, because of jealousy. 
uh, that God looked more favorably upon his offering. Um, very quickly, uh, the rage and the, the anger and the callous disregard uh, that, that humanity picked up uh, came into existence. And so this is an, an old story, but one that we still are having to deal with. There, there, are, there are not easy answers uh, for this. Uh, and, and in fact, the thing that I think is an important takeaway for all of us uh, is a word out of Matthew 12. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. We're told elsewhere that you'll give account for everything that you've done, whether in word or deed. Mm-hmm. Every single thing that that we will stand before God and answer for. Uh, and so this is not just about uh, John Ramirez. This is about every one of us and right. the, the fact that uh, our lives have been a, a story of good and evil both yeah. and that there are, there are crimes, there are evils that are inside of each of us, but what do we make of those? Yeah. Uh, what ultimately is made out of the fact that we are human beings made in the image of God, uh, but that we have evils, uh, yeah. inexcusable evils. Sin is uh, not a small term. Sin is, we have each done things that, that are completely without excuse. Mm. But for all of us, including for John Ramirez, there is a hope of redemption. Uh, I don't have any idea of the state of his heart, right. but for everyone, there is a hope that turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ who has died for you, and there is new life. And look, even new life, if you die on death row, a new life that is to come one day. Yeah. You know, what you're saying is exactly right. And I think the way we talk about these things um, matters and while it is true that we can, and, and I, I am in favor of the death penalty, I never would rejoice mm-hmm. at the execution of a human being. I would never rejoice in that, though I see the necessity in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a show that came out on Netflix a while back called The Ted Bundy Tapes. It was a documentary mm-hmm. series of a few episodes. And, and you know, throughout it, like you just see the, uh, the horrific things that this man did. And um, and he is, you know, on the run for so long and, and then finally caught and and just after this long battle between him and the authorities is ultimately caught, uh, caught and given the death penalty and such a a hatred and disdain built up for this, this man. Um, and, you know, I think understandably to a certain extent, though I would, I would never say it was, it was right, but... Um, but when he was ultimately executed, I, I remember this was on the last episode of the show, and it was such a weird moment where there was like a group of people outside um, the prison in like joyous celebration. They had made t-shirts uh, in celebration of and, and sort of a joking about uh, killing, the, executing mm-hmm. uh, Ted Bundy and just you know, the joyous applause and, and, and everything whenever he, uh, was ultimately executed. And man, I, it, it was 
it was a really sad sight to see mm-hmm. the rejoicing and uh, that was taking place and, and almost, I would almost say mockery of the fact that an image bearer of God had just been put to death because of it, because of his own heinous crimes. Certainly right. it was justified, but even though justified, that kind of reaction I don't think is ever warranted and should never, uh, never be one of believers. I don't think believers should ever be in a situation where we celebrate right. at the death of anyone, even someone who deserves death. Right. Right. And I, I think that's borne out. Um, this, this story made me think about one of what I would call the most uh, frightening passages in the New Testament. In, in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus says, you know, look, uh, those of you who, uh, who have seen the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the naked and the sick and the imprisoned, and when you cared for them, you cared for me. And then he says, and those of you who have seen the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the naked and the sick and the imprisoned, and you didn't care for them, you didn't care for me. And then he goes further and says, you who cared for the least of these come into everlasting happiness. And you who didn't, you go out into the utter darkness, into it, into everlasting torment. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. Whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you did for me. Why do you think, I, I, I would think for some of us, we go, oh, I see the hungry and the thirsty. Uh, that's, that's why Jesus picked them. Why do you think that um, the imprisoned are among that group? I think the imprisoned are among that group because the imprisoned are image bearers of God, probably. Um, it is tough. I think we could, I think there's a desire to want to sort of explain that one in a way that makes it more palpable. Like, well, obviously he's talking about those who were imprisoned for their faith, right? Those who were experiencing mm. persecution and, and were imprisoned. Well, he doesn't say that. Right. He just says those who are imprisoned. Um, maybe he's just referring to those who are imprisoned who uh, are united in the same faith as us. But again, he doesn't specify that either. Right. He just talks about caring for those who are in prison. And I think he, he does so because he recognizes the, um, the value and dignity and worth of that person, even though imprisoned, because they're an image bearer of God. And... Yeah, and that principle is what it is that that has motivated this eight to one Supreme Court decision. Uh, while I'm not saying the Supreme Court right. justices all are just like, well, because Scripture says this, right? right. I'm right. not saying that, but this idea that human beings have dignity, value, worth. This right. is the same same principle that has brought about the uh, the religious liberty that we enjoy here in this country. Right. Is is that same idea? Right, and in, if there's any doubt in uh, anyone's mind listening about uh, the fact that uh, this this message of Jesus has gone a long way to improving conditions in prisons, you ought to look at the history of the prison system because oh, yeah. historically, in the ancient world, prisons were horrible places, and even up to about 200 years ago, uh, prisons were not, were awful places. Mm-hmm. Uh, that no hygiene. Uh, no food provided your family could bring you food and if if they didn't well then you didn't have anything you could try to barter with anybody else who's in there Mm -hmm. and this was true for uh men as well as women uh there are awful stories of of women who have children that are stuck there in the prison with them of women being taken off to be killed with little children clinging on to them i mean the prisons have historically uh been terrible places and it in the West, Christians have worked to improve 
the prison system. I wonder about Matthew 25 if, if a part of the idea is that um, the imprisoned are experiencing what is our worst nightmare, that our sins would find us out. Mm. Um, and that, that it's a sort of privilege, any of us whose sins, uh, who, our sins haven't found us out. Um, because it's not as if, uh, we, we've become, I think, accustomed to this idea that not necessarily all of our sins, will, we won't necessarily pay for them temporarily in, in this life, but some do. Uh, some do, and 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 that sort of branding, uh, that sort of branding leads to certain struggles in this world, uh, struggles in finding a job and being able to uh, get by. Um, it, it, look, it's a, it's even a certain kind of temperament a person who can walk around uh, in society uh, and not uh, look. A, a person who commits a crime is often has a certain kind of boldness uh, and. We tend to reward uh, people with less boldness, people who, you know, are, are not as much uh, risk takers. And all, all I mean by this is to say that, um, one, the, the Lord has a greater insight into human hearts than we do, um, so that whatever reason this is this way in Matthew 25, um, but that how, whatever it is the reason, whatever is the reason, he does say, Whatever you did for the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the naked and the sick and the imprisoned, you did for me. And whatever you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me. And it attaches the consequences to it. And so it's right there. Um, and, and that is, for me, uh, a very strong background to this course. Whatever John Ramirez's motivation was for asking for this form of pastoral care, um, look, uh, it is, it, it, and it should be uh, our worst nightmare that our sins would find us out. Um, and it is a strange world when uh, your sins find you out and your fellow man brands you as a different sort of human being yeah. when your sins find you out. Because um, uh, what is it G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said? Um, uh, original sin is the only... Uh, doctrine in the Bible that is completely provable empirically. Yeah. Look, sin is there. Uh, inexcusable actions are happening all the time. <laughs> okay, so what, is that, what does that mean? Uh, because we have the experience of it, both by having it done to us, which we like to focus on, but we have the experience of it in doing it to other people, which we don't like to focus on. Um, but what is to come of that? And the answer that the Bible gives is, there's forgiveness for it in Jesus. Run to him. Yeah. Leave. Leave this evil behind. Yeah. It will destroy you. Yep. It's already in the process of destroying you. If you're trusting in it, boy, you are you are rapidly on a decline, a road to nowhere. So turn, turn from it. Yeah. Yeah, I think too, you know, with this with this decision, and and I would make the argument that the decision to allow this man to uh to allow his his pastor to be in the room and to do what, um, if you can argue about it all you want and whether or not it's it's actually a, a legitimate concern, but uh, to allow his pastor to do what he his uh, religious tradition um, would dictate, you know, his pastor ought to do, and if that means laying his hand on him and praying out loud, then then so be it. And and I think the allowance of that is an upholding of human dignity, mm-hmm. and I think as Christians. We recognize that and we seek, we ought to be seeking to uphold human dignity every place that it, it, it is threatened. 
which means that we uphold uh, human dignity in the womb and we defend the unborn. It means that we uphold human dignity when it comes to physician-assisted suicide and we stand against that. It means that we uphold the dignity of human beings as image bearers of God everywhere that it is under attack. And what's interesting is this sometimes makes us seem um, uh, contradictory, whereas Mm -hmm. some would say, well, you know, you're opposed to, uh, you're you're pro-life in one area, but not in another, it might be said, right? We ought to be opposing the death penalty altogether for this man, where where we as Christians, um, from yours and I's perspective, certainly, would say, no, the death penalty in this case upholds human dignity uh, the allowing of his clergy to do what his clergy is going to do in this execution is also an upholding of human dignity of human dignity there is actually great consistency in that uh, and you know we ought to be careful not to ever let it go in one area and yet uphold it in one or think that they contradict but rather uh, we always as Christians ought to stand for human dignity yeah. I agree that's a good place to leave it yeah. you got anything else? I don't think so. Okay. Well, this has been Empires of the Future, and we'll see you in the future.